Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Hey dreamers, creating Australia's second largest roast and coffee ground company. Our conversation continues today with coffee barista turned coffee mogul. You know, it's a nice soundbite, but what we are really interested in is how he took a vision and made it manifest. Nat and I have been drinking Debella coffee for years in Brisbane, so when sipping on a much sought-after espresso in Abbotsford Road, New York City, we really felt the global success of this humble coffee roaster. His company was recognized in 06, 07, 09, Business Review Weekly, Fast 100. So clearly, the company has raised eyebrows. Guided by a clear vision that greatness is in the detail, this entrepreneur remains steadfast among many critics. His ability to hold a vision was described in the book, Entrepreneurial Intelligence. And I can tell you by all the highlighted portions of Nat's tattered copy that this is an intriguing read. The stamina running through Philip DeBella has recently been displayed by his incredible feat of losing 70 kilos in one year. And he just said 72 kilos. So I'm just like even more blown away. And I can't wait to find out how he did it. And what's next for someone who has been gunning for his vision over the past 16 years alongside his wife, Gianna. And now he's sold the company. So I wonder if he just hangs out in the spa all day, basically. So Phil. I take it that there's no better way to interview you than to cannonball right into it. So is that how you like to roll? That's it. It's all about action and execution. <laughs> how did I know? How did I know? So I have to ask, back in 2002, you're standing behind the coffee machine in a cafe in Fortitude Valley in Australia, making coffee for customers. <coughs> Excuse me. Is this where your Henry Ford type vision arose? Yeah, totally, totally. So back in 2002, we had people start to um, drink a lot of coffee, but people didn't understand where where this whole phenomenon was going. So I could see that uh, people were fascinated by coffee. Of course, my Italian heritage 
helped. I grew up with my dad being a coffee aficionado and crazy about coffee. But um, it was 2002 where it really came to life and said, you know what, um, coffee is really going to take off. It's something that uh, people are emotionally engaged with and it's something that, you know, people want to consume and I can see that there's a trend coming. Mm. Awesome. So this trend led to what kind of vision? Because I know one thing Nat said to me was, it wasn't just a small next step vision. Like it was bold. Mm. So what yeah, was the was. vision and, that you had? And see, yeah, well, I look, I um, reflecting now at the time, obviously you don't know it because um, mm. one of the things that I'm, that I've been lucky enough and my wife's amazing at is helping me go back and reflect on what's worked and hasn't worked. Mm. And, and now I can talk about it openly and, and hopefully help other people on their journey. Um, in 2002, what we recognised that the biggest problem that happened was people were drinking coffee but didn't understand, um, you know, much about it. The biggest thing was that um, cafe owners were, were were selling coffee and all they were getting from their suppliers was a product. And the, you know, when I sat back and I analysed the market and I said, what is exactly the problem we're going to solve? And it's 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 now a strategy that I use, you know, when I'm consulting to people or talking to people, um, in any business. And I said, the number one thing that any great business does is solve a problem. So I can articulate now that in 2002, the problem that we solved was that help cafe owners make money. We were going to be a, a we weren't going to be a product business. We we're going to be a service business. Um, and that was the big bold vision that everyone told me I was crazy. Everyone told me it wasn't possible. Um, for years, people have manufactured coffee and delivered coffee. And I said, well, if that's all I'm going to do, I won't have a business because there's 1,500 people, 1,500 companies that you can buy a bag of beans from. So the big, bold vision was very simply, I'm going to help cafe owners make money. Um, and from that vision then grew, obviously, a strategic plan, which grew the right people on the right seat of the bus, which grew the right storytelling. Um, and overall, which I talk about now, the best businesses in the world, whether they're a service business or product business, is those that know how to emotionally engage with their target audience. Um, so reflecting back, without knowing it at the time, 2002 was all about solving problems for customers. It was all about helping them grow their business, being a support mechanism, um, and finding that real niche that we could really transfer an industry, and this is what we became famous for later on, is that we were the first company to ever turn the industry from a product industry into a service industry. Interesting. So is your customer the cafe owner then, not actually the consumer yeah. of the roast? Yeah. Yeah, well that's that's a great question because a lot of people don't understand who their who their customer is. And what we identified very quickly is that we had two customers. Um, we the customer for us was the cafe owner and then the consumer was the customer's customer. So what we did was we built a bipartisan strategy um, to make sure that we attracted both. So we went B2B and B2C. Um, and that began the hard work, let me tell you, especially with my uh, wonderful wife standing right beside me at the markets on at three o'clock in the morning, um, serving customers coffee um, and you know putting our cup of coffee into their hands and saying why ours was better. Um, and she was right there with me. So we thought, well, hang on, there's a method in this. If we can build a B2C demand model, the B2B model will take care of itself. So in short to say that if we can get the consumer demanding our product, then the customer, which is the cafe owner, would have no choice but to stock it. So we took a really, really different approach to it. In all in all, that's what we did. You know, the why was all about how do we help cafe owners make money. 
you know, and that's a big thing. I mean, Simon Sinek has been a big, big part of um, how I talk about strategy and, and also how I go back and really reconcile what worked and what didn't is a lot of people know what they're doing and how they're doing it, but don't understand the why. Um, and I think that's not just got to do with business owners, that's got to do with workers, it's got to do with students, and I've got a lot to do with kids and trying to help people accelerate their potential, which is my calling now. Um, I understand people know what they're doing and how they're doing it, but don't understand that why. And the why is what actually keeps you going when everybody's throwing mud in your face. Um, obviously, yourself, um, Nat, would know this firsthand through your history, through you know your life experiences, is that when people say to you, what's kept you going when the moment gets tough? Mm-hmm. It's because you really knowingly or unknowingly know your why. Um, mm. Because if it's just about the what and the how, it's very easy to give up. So if all I was doing was selling coffee, um, I could say I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, right. So Phil's referring to... Simon Sinek has a famous TED Talk, um, so many millions of views, and then he wrote a book called Start With The Why, and, um, or Start With Why, it, incredible book, and um, yeah, thank you for making that distinction, because I was going to ask you how you held that vision, you know, when others didn't see it, and often yeah. people don't see something that hasn't existed before, which, so if you're an innovator, and you're doing something new, or you're on the leading edge, I mean, people are going to throw things at you, because they've oh, seen it before, Clearly, you um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you navigated a lot of that as you um, as you you worked through it. But how did you transfer the vision into action? Because I know you're an action guy. So how yeah. did you and Gianna yeah. like go? Okay, this is what we want to do, and now we're going to be at the markets at three a.m. Like, wh- what's that transfer? Yeah. The big thing is that um, a lot of people build their business from the inside out. We built our business from the outside in. And that is a consumer-led organization. Um, and everything, and I've had many of other businesses that we've gone on to sold and been very successful and we're currently involved in businesses and we find ourselves following the same model. Um, you're either an inside-out business or you're an outside-in. And the way that I said, if you can, I've seen a lot of good, using my industry as an analogy, right? I've seen a lot of good chefs with a lot of capability go bankrupt. And that's because they build the business from the inside out. And what I say to people is if nobody wants, if there's no demand for your product, then you don't have a business. And I don't care if you're serving the best food on the market, the best cup of coffee on the market. If there is no demand, if there is no problem that you're solving, you don't have a business. So the model that we always followed was what problem are we going to solve for a consumer? What problem are we going to solve for our customer? I talked about it before. The customer was all about helping the cafe owner make money. What we did in Australia um, around the actual consumer is that 95% of Australians drink their coffee with milk. Mm. However, they put 90% of you know customers at the time put sugar in their coffee. So we said, we're going to be the first coffee company that can create a product that doesn't need sugar, right? And that is also going to blend well with milk because everyone else was designing great espresso, but no one drinks great espresso, right? And we made it about the customer. We didn't make it about our ego. We didn't sit around a table. And I think Alan talks about it in the book where he says, you know, we didn't sit around a table with our egos, you know, wrapped around our backsides going, oh, this coffee tastes amazing. Because if no one wants to buy the product, I don't care how great your coffee tastes. So the short of it is that we built a customer-led organization. We identified the needs, the problems we're going to solve, and then built the strategy around the outside. But the most important thing that we did is the moment that we identified what the strategy 
look like, we made sure we hired the right people that can help us achieve it. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. You know, this whole thing of hire the skills you don't have in an organization. Well, if you hire people smarter than you, then why aren't they running their own business? To me, it's not about who's smarter, who's not smarter. To me, it's all about what people are fit for purpose to achieve what it is that you need to achieve. What seats of the bus, now the whole Jim Collins, what are the seats of the bus that you identify? What are the right people? And I take it one step further. What are the key attributes? Now, I'm a big believer, and this is where Jana has been amazing in the organization, the psychology background. You know, she's got more qualifications than, than I'll ever have. Um, she's a lot smarter than I'll ever be. Um, you know, but she, she, she strength tests our people. Um, she made sure that we knew how to map their, where they were, where they wanted to be. It was all about being people focused. And, and I think the key is when you actually have this desire to bring out the best in the people and you also provide them with the vision of where, why they're turning up to work every day and how they play into the bigger picture, then magic starts to happen. Um, so what I talk about in short is you become a people organisation, not a product organisation. Yet when I talk to lawyers or an accountants and sports people, they go, oh, I'm in the business of soccer or I'm in the business of law or I'm in the business of accounting. Well, I've never seen an accountant walk in to buy accounting services, right? Um, it's people. Accountancy doesn't buy accountancy. Numbers don't buy numbers. Coffee doesn't buy coffee. People mm. is centre and utmost of everything that we do. So if you're talking, I want to, this is really interesting, the outside in model. So mm. when you, um, so you described, you know, there, there could be a good chef that's doing great things, but yet they can go out of business. You know, they, they may have nobody to feed. So how do you, if you want to have a business that is outside in, how did you get in touch with the customer? Like, how did you know that they like to drink it with milk was that study or did you go out and do a survey like how did you actually make sure that you were in touch with the outside yeah yeah no great question well it's a it's a mixture right it's it's obviously it depends what industry is because in some industries you can get the data right and and, and you can analyze the data and all the rest of it but to me what we did was we went to the coal face so when i went to the market you know, and at the time, the Jan Powers Farmers Markets were revolutionary. They were the first of their kind. Um, and I had competitors there. Um, I would sit there and I'd say, what is it about a cup of coffee that can get better? So it was dialogue. For me, it was communication dialogue. And people say, that sounds primitive. Well, it was primitive. But we were fortunate enough to be in an industry that was just pioneered. You know, people had just started drinking coffee cafes and, and the rest of it. The timing was right. And, and you know, when people say, you're lucky. Yeah, if you define, I define lucky as timing opportunity, right? So I was lucky. I was able to capitalize on the timing and meet the opportunity. And to me, that's luck. Um, but it didn't fall out of the sky, right? Mm -hmm. But what we did was that we actually made it about people. So we made it about emotional connection. We made it about emotional engagement. We made it about needs analysis. Um, what is it that your needs would be? But And there's an element that people don't get, and this is the whole entrepreneurialism in, in anybody, and there's, and there's an element of entrepreneurialism in everybody, and, and that is gut instinct. That is anticipation. That is understanding, you know, what's going on. My dad, um, you know, and I'm a son of migrants, and my dad will tell you a funny story about, you know, he went to school for eight years and never went past grade three. Right? And he was telling my children that story and they were laughing their guts out, as you can imagine. How can you go to school for eight years and never get past grade three? But yet <laughs> I tell my kids that some of my best learnings came from my father because they're very primitive, instinctive learnings that 
You know, no school can teach you. Mm-hmm. You know, no maths formula will ever will ever teach you. It's all about reading people, understanding people, communicating to people, um, being able to read what's going on. So what we did really well as an organisation is we were very strict in where we wanted to be and who we are and our brand and all the rest of it. But we were very nimble in how we operated. So, And that's what I mean by consumer-led. Um, companies that are consumer-led are really able to be instinctive and nimble in what they do and achieve. And there is a magic formula. Like, let me be honest. I mean, you know, many times I used to look like Buddha and people thought if they rubbed my tummy, they might rub off, right? Um, it, I used to say, to them, I might look like Buddha, but I'm definitely not Buddha. Um, <laughs> you know, there is no magic answer. And there's to, no more tummy. we've done. Yeah, and there's no more tummy, right? <laughs> we'll talk about you know, that later. No, but yeah, but, but it, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, you, you do what you do and you go back and you reflect. And, um, you know, and upon reflection, that's been great. You know, you look back and see what's happened. And, and it really does come down to some really simple philosophies. We were very in touch with consumers. We were very in touch with what our people internally um, believed in and, and we hired on attitude and taught skill. We didn't hire anybody with skills we didn't have, right? We hired people with the right attitude and we taught the skill. Um, we, we made sure that we gave people a reason not to go and own their own business if they were good enough to. So that we ended up with a lot of offshoot businesses, right? We'd go back and John and I often reflect, how do we become involved in so many businesses? Well, we had people good enough to own their own, but we had them a reason not to. Because right? yeah. um, a lot of people talk about losing good people. Well, of course you're going to lose good people. If you don't give them a reason to stay, why should they stay? You know, they're going to go and do their own thing. They're going to sit around and build their own business. Um, so we we were really in touch with what with, with with what that is, and that seems simplistic. But can I tell you? And you, I love analogies. Um, the world's best pizza is judged on a margarita. Margarita has three ingredients, yet it is the format that they've judged the world's best pizza. You know why? Because Getting those three ingredients perfect is harder than hiding it with 10 or 20 different ingredients. And that is, to me, what I've learned so far in my short career, you know, at a ripe age of 43, is that I don't know have all the answers. You know who has the answers? The person's money that you're trying to attract. So yeah. the person that you're actually trying to attract as a customer is the person who has the answers because they decide whether they invest in you or don't invest in you. Wow. Well, I can see that Gianna's not the only one with um, a psychology nuance. Like, clearly, to be able to anticipate people, um, you know, not only the people you work with, but your customers, is integral to your success. You know, like you said, if they have all the answers and you're not listening, then it's not going to work, is it? So I can see that, you know, those days back at the, the, you know, at the powerhouse that you were really listening because now living in Switzerland, I really recognize so strongly the the revolution of coffee in Australia. Like it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I was just curious when you were saying that if you, do you apply these same strategies in New York city now with Abbotsford road, mm. do you, you know, it's a different customer. You know, that was really interesting yeah. when we went to New York cause we were like, where's the good coffee around here? Yeah. Literally. Yeah, and guess where we ended up, you know, Abbotsford road. So are you applying the same strategies in terms of, out, yeah. you know, from the outside yeah. in, you're doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, great question. Great question. And and you know what? I learned a lot. So I got to meet Howard Shields, um, you know, who famous for the Starbucks. Um, 
the way they treated the people, the way they ethically buy coffee, um, nothing but praise. But their execution's not always been fantastic. Right? Um, and I learned a lot from when they tried to come into Australia and, you know, with, with one would assess it with a level of arrogance, you know. We are Starbucks, we know what we're doing, we're the biggest company in the world and we'll teach you guys how to drink coffee. From that I learned, I'm not going to go into America and teach anybody anything. What I'm going to do is go into America and take the best of what I have to offer and then mix it with the geographic and demographic of what America has to offer. So the learnings we've had is they all want a great cup of coffee and love our coffee. However, they don't want to be fussed on. You know, they want to clear their own tables. Like when they said to me, oh, Phil, we have to put wash bins in our cafe. And I go, what the hell is a wash bin? And they said, oh, the customer cleans their own, you know, their own cup. They love doing that makes them feel worthy and makes them feel like they're not relying on somebody um, to, to clean after them. I mean, this was new, so I didn't say no to it. I said, okay, well, I would like you to clear their table, but if they want to clear their own table, then give them an opportunity to. Um, so it was just working with and I think the perfect thing that I talk about is harmony. So what we've done in New York really well so far, because it's still early days, it's one year in, yes, we're doing really well, but it is about working with the lay of land. It's about working with people. It's about understanding people. It's about um, understanding the differences in geographics and demographics. I mean, putting together the shop fit in New York taught me so much because I held America, especially New York, in such a high esteem. But it took me twice as long to build that over there than what it would have in Australia. Mm. Now, for whatever reason, um, you know, it was completely different. It was a format that we had to really learn something different about and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, we didn't whinge about it. We didn't carry on about it. We said, this is what it is. You adjust and you move on. Now, America has opportunity because of population, um, you know, but I'm used to that because of our operations in India, because of our operations, obviously, in China. Um, America has population. But it is just amazing that the common denominator of anywhere you do business in the world is people. And I'll tell you a funny story you're going to love. Yeah. We're in Switzerland in Zermatt at Christmas and we're traveling from Italy to Switzerland. So we're crossing over from Torino over to Switzerland on our way to Zermatt. And we go order food on the train and the iPad system shuts down. And so I said to the lady, oh, no problems. We've got cash. We'll total it up. We'll pay you cash. We feed. It's lunchtime. Feed our kids. Feed our families. There was two families traveling. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We're not serving anybody. I said, what do you mean you're not serving anybody? Your, your iPad system's gone down, but we can sort it out. We've got cash, and we're happy to give you even more. We'll round it up. No, no. No system, no food. And I've gone, I beg your pardon? And she's like, no, I'm serious. No system, no food. We can't serve you. And I said, well, which, you know, cheeky me was like, well, are you Italian-operated or Swiss-operated? Because Italians are happy to take our cash. Right. The, the, you know, so it's it's like, well, what are we doing? What are we not doing? And But the bottom of the story was when you're so prestigious, and the Swiss are far better operators procedurally than Italians, and I can tell you that because I'm Italian. <laughs> but the story was, well, when you're so focused on process, mm. when you're focused so focused on procedure rather than people, you start to lose the, you know, the whole part that goes with great business. And the part that goes with great business is solve a customer's problem. You know, it's all about people. It's all about what are the needs of this customer. And you know what? Be able to pivot. 
because I see a lot of businesses that I work with that go, this is our strategy. And the moment something goes wrong in strategy, they freak out. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the Swiss are the most revered, you know, the most celebrated people for terms of hygiene, cleanliness, um, systems and approaches, which is fantastic. But I experienced firsthand the beautifulness of that happening 95% of the time. And then I got to experience the 5% where people freak out when thing breaks out of the norm. So it was, it was, it's, it's learning and, and it comes back and I suppose, well, the, well, the biggest moral for me is when, you know, I get to travel the world doing what I do. I say to people, you want fast track learning, travel more. You know, Hey, Phil, I, I lost you. I lost you for a second on the internet, like on the, the connection. So can you just repeat, can you just repeat um, what, why you should travel more? Well, you should travel more so that you actually learn. I say that, you know, people say, well, how do you get to know more about world and become worldly? Travel more. Because people don't travel enough and traveling actually builds your patience and helps you experience things and it grows your intellect. Mm -hmm. um, and I speak to a lot of parents that have always traveled with their children and they say, schooling's fantastic, but the best schooling has been when my kids travel, they've experienced things from around the world. And I mean, India is one of them. So, you know, I used to be one of these impatient drivers and complain about traffic. Since dealing with <laughs> the Chinese and the Indians over 10 years ago, I don't, I don't complain about traffic in Australia. I mean, even in Sydney, where it's probably worse than Australia, I never complain because yeah. I've experienced worse. And it comes back to that whole, we don't know what we don't know. And mm. I find that a lot of corporate arrogance, individual arrogance um, comes into it when people assume things that they don't know. Um, and I call it data-free observations. So one <laughs> of my mottos is obviously not to, not to apply data-free observations. You know, um, You don't know what you don't know. I love that. Like travel is such a um, ability to reflect because it, it, when you were just mentioning New York and people wanting to clear their own tables, you made me realize that when I moved to Australia, my biggest conundrum was why are people leaving things on the table? You know, it, and I didn't even know it was a thing because I was just yeah. immersed fish in water. They don't know they're in water until they're mm. not anymore. And so here I, you know, and so I love that you're, you move into a culture with new people instead of assuming that there's one way that's right. It's just learning how are things done here and how can I help people, you know, solve a problem, get where they want to get. So the thing that I know about you um, that Nat has told me about you that I've read about you is that you have an extremely high work ethic and it sounds mm. that Gianna has the same thing, which is quite a combination. Yeah. So, I can't avoid the obvious. You're half the man you used to be. So a lot of people, are this is an audio, so people can't see you. But rather than tell us how you lost 72 kilos, I'd like to hear what made you decide to take it on and what yeah. allowed you to follow through. Yeah. So I always talk about our lives are split into three, um, personal, professional, and family. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have professional goals and we neglect the family and the personal. Um, and at best, sometimes we achieve two of the three. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you think you're doing or not doing. Everybody's life is in three areas, personal, professional, and family. And what I've learned is that it, there's no use about searching for balance, which doesn't exist. Life's about harmony. And we're at our best, and we all want to be our best, especially high achievers want to be at their best. And the best means that everything's working harmoniously. 
when professional needs your life, that's where you put the attention. When family needs it, that's where the attention goes. And when you personally need it, that's where the attention goes. So as I was building a business and Jana and I were obviously working really hard, it was business that needed. It was professional that needed our attention. Then we decided to build a family. So Jana's focus went more to family. Mine had to be split between family and business. And of course, the neglect became my personal, in, in, in which was my weight. Now, the, the, the short answer to it is very simple. You cannot give all three areas of your life 100% of attention that they need all at once because it just doesn't exist. Everything's got to work in harmony. And you're at your best when you're giving what is needed at the time that it's needed. So are you doing the best that you can at the time that it's happening with the resources that you've got? And that's a, a formula that I've um, now shared with many people, especially people that are doing it really tough. Um, it's a really good self-assessment tool. Are you doing the best that you can at the time that it's happening with the resources that you have at hand? Um, and the bottom line was I was, um, and then I, when I sold the company, it was all about, am I personally doing the best that I can? So the catalyst in short was, I want to be here for a long time, not a short time. Mm. The catalyst was family. The catalyst was, I want to give the best me to my children. And the real catalyst was, do I want my children to grow up with a weight issue? Do I want them to grow up with a, with a weight problem? Mm. Um, so applying that whole concept of vision back to a personal level and a family level is what was the catalyst for me to say, right, it's time to go. And that, of course, combined with all fairness, with the doctor that is brilliant, um, Dr. Saul Geffen, absolutely brilliant, um, one of the most recognised doctors in, in Australia for some of the stuff he's done. Um, and he sat down and he had a really honest chat with me, and I won't swear, um, and he said, you're the fittest fat person I know. You're resting heartbeat at 65. You've got no cholesterol, no, no, no issues whatsoever, and you're 42 years old. He goes, but I guarantee you one thing, and you add in a few explicit words, um, at 45 to 50, this is not going to be the case. So let me wake you up to reality. You're one of Australia's most decorated entrepreneurs. You've achieved everything that most people can't achieve. But what about you? Hmm. Are you going to be the loser when it comes to you? Because you know what? Your family will actually lose, not you. You pass on, et cetera, et cetera. And he painted a really grim picture. And I went, okay, enough with the bullshit. Um, it's time to apply the yeah. vision to me personally. And you know what? Get the tools that you need around you. So what I did was I actually applied the same business model that what I did in business to me personally. And that is, what is the problem I need to solve? Yep. Why have I got a weight problem? Um, and, I, and I turned around and I broke it down and I'm happy to share it. You know, yeah, I was like, I want to know. Why, why do you think? Yeah. Well, it went it said simply. I actually eat more now than I ever have. The problem I had before was I wouldn't eat breakfast, I wouldn't eat lunch, and I'd load up on dinner. Right. So imagine you know, and I love analogies, imagine grabbing a whole heap of wood and throwing it on a fire and the flame's only just mildly burning, the flame goes out and the fire never burns and that was my metabolism. So what I needed and I applied the same thing to business, what is the problem I'm going to solve, what are the tools that I need around me, who are the people, how do I go about it and it's about putting the ego in the back burner. Get rid of the ego, get rid of the emotion. So what I did was I researched and I came up and I said, the best thing for me to do is to go and have a stomach reduction um, surgery, which mm -hmm. is what I did. Mm -hmm. Now, when people, it's funny, right? And you're going to love this. People go, so how did you do it? How did I do it? Eat small meals many times a day. Yeah. And they go, is that it? And I said, that's it. 
What did I do to help me do that? is that I built a safety net. And the safety net was that I went and had a stomach reduction mm -hmm. so that I can't fit in any more than a small food many times a day. Got but it. I said, getting the stomach cut down to a smaller size didn't make me lose weight. It's not like they got a chainsaw and cut my fat off or cut my stomach off. That's right. They just reduced the size of my stomach. What I actually did was I'm eating small meals many times a day. So I went and got the tools around me. I went and no different to what we do in business. This is what I want to achieve. This is the problem I need to solve. And this is the tools I need around me. And more importantly, these are the people that I need around me to help support me. Mm -hmm. You know, so I applied the same principle I did in business, which was, you know, instigated by my great doctor, you know, Saul, was apply the same principles in business to you personally and you won't fail because there is no difference between professional and personal. And, and you so know what? It's a great lesson. And so the impact of you taking yourself on, you know, because you mm. described those three areas, how has that brought harmony to your family? And how's that brought harmony mm. to your business? Yeah, well, it's always great when your kids can say, now I can put my arms around daddy and give him a proper hug, right? Um, mm. It always adds a benefit. But, but in, in, in short, you know, it is you become a role model. So you become a role model that they say, well, you know, I can now say to my kids, well, you know, is that a healthy food option? Is that going to be the best that you can be? Are you being the best you can be? Hey, we've all got problems. Daddy had problems. You know, daddy might have been successful in, in business um, first go, but he wasn't successful when it came to weight. Um, we all fail. We all stumble. And you know what it is? When you stumble, surround yourself with the right people. Take hold, take stock, and really, really acknowledge the problem. Don't push it under the table. Don't, you know, don't forget about it. Really take it on head on and be the best you can be. And that's the saying that we use in our family is, and I mean, you guys will see it through my posts and stuff that I put up and hashtags. Be the best you can be, you know, and it's something that we live. I mean, even down to school marks, I say to our kids, I don't care whether you're an A student, B student or C student. Um, what I do care about is do you get A's for effort? Because that's to me says that you're being the best that you can be. Um, so it's, it's something that we apply across the model. It's something I apply with my team, um, with anyone that works for me um, or works with us. You know, are you doing the best that you can at the time that it's happening with the resources, resources that are available? And if the answer is yes, well, you know, you've got to be content with that because, you know, you can't make stuff happen. It just can't happen. Mm. And so to round this conversation out, it's been really cool to see how you apply your philosophies to all areas of your life, which like you said, mm -hmm. allows you to become a role model. So other people want to know how you did it. But I there, for me, there's this overall sense of self belief or, you know, inside of you. Yeah. And, and that was a question that and I were curious about what, what would mm -hmm. you say has led to that? Because a lot of people, there's a lot of self doubt. I'm not saying you don't have any, but there's mm -hmm. a sense of, when other people criticize you or people are coming after you, there's a sense of self. Where do you yeah. think that comes from? Well, I think it's a combination of stuff. And it's a combination of obviously your upbringing mm -hmm. where, you know, I'm a son of migrants. Um, my parents came here with nothing and they had to, you know, fight and, and, and all the rest of it. So that instinctively becomes what we call obviously, you know, um, nurture, mm -hmm. right? It's, it, it's all about how you're nurtured through life and that's no different to the people, you know, Jim Collins says the sum of the five people you surround yourself with, which again mm -hmm. is nurture. Um, so it is a combination of people that you put around you. Mm -hmm. um, it's obviously a genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people are fighters, some people are not. Um, you know, some people are instinctively stronger than others. 
um, and all the rest of it. But if you had to pick one thing, and this is something that obviously Jonah's worked really closely with me on, and she does with other people, is mindset. Is you have a choice. And if you're looking for a silver bullet, and I don't believe in silver bullets, but if you had to pick the one thing that I find fundamentally different in myself, um, in my children, in anyone that I've worked with, or, you know, and these are people that have failed or succeeded, the common denominator is mindset, is the people that are able to tap into the positive mindset and a growth mindset versus okay. fixed mindset okay. is, is where it all is. And if somebody said to me, hey, what would be your number one piece of advice? My number one piece of advice would be to adopt a growth mindset, you know? But like your sister has this like description of you grabbing a microphone at 10 years old yeah. and making this speech. And the minute I, I read that to Nat and I said, oh, that sounds like you. And, mm. and so did you have a growth mindset then? And do you think your parents gave it to you or have you cultivated it? Well, both. Um, I was encouraged to be who I was. Um, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that is I emceed my parents, you know, 25th wedding anniversary when I think I was 10 or 11. Um, and that was something that was encouraged because they could have said, no, you're not. Mm. Right? Um, but they encouraged it. They were like, right. okay, you want to do this? Do it. Um, you know, I want you to be the best that you can be. Um, and, and, of course, on reflection, the one thing that was always amazing about my parents, and it had nothing to do with money because my dad used to earn $400 a week. Um, you know, and I used to play tennis with Pat Raff or Scott Draper. I was a, I was what you would call a professional junior. My tennis shoes used to cost $200 a pair. I mean, I had the cheapest racket from Kmart because my parents couldn't afford it. Tennis was a very, you know, wealthy to do family sport. But my parents never, ever, ever um, made me feel any less or any different or that nothing was possible. And upon reflection, that was their mindset. Their mindset that they instilled in me was based on the mindset they had in themselves. If you want something, you go get it. You know, you come alone, you go alone. The only money to rely on is the money you make with your own two hands. There's all these nuggets of wisdom. And this is one thing you said to me, what's your biggest gripe in the world right now? It's this air of expectation. It's this air of entitlement. Everybody gets a ribbon. Well, stick your ribbon up your rear end, right? Some are going to win and some are going to lose, man. Um, you know, resilience is the biggest problem in the world. I mean, Harvard did a study on it that that's why people commit suicide. Well, the major reason of behind suicide and all the rest of it is resilience, right? This is why we've got depression. Is people, you know, obviously, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in that field, but there's a big element of resilience that causes this. And, and I mean, some of us are just you know, are, are causing resilience to happen, um, the non-existence of resilience to happen. Um, and, and it starts from like everybody gets a ribbon. Well, not everybody gets a ribbon, right? You want to do better, you know, try harder, um, work harder. And if you still work harder and you're doing your best and it doesn't happen, well, it doesn't happen. You know, that's life. Get on. Let's move on to the next thing of what you are great at. You know, yeah. it's, it's this area of expectation or entitlement that we've really, really got to change. And can I tell you to sum that up? So far, what I find, and I find that there's a commonality, whether it's personal, professional, family, is that most people want to collect data. And this whole data phenomenon going around the world, which has got everybody in spins from, and they don't understand it. They go from data to strategy. The most important thing that I found and I believe is the future is collect the data, then analyze it before you build strategy. And I think people, you know, the biggest opportunity in the world for people to become better at what they are and who they are and what they do 
is the ability to analyze data. And there's not a day that goes by that I won't use those words to anyone that I'm talking to, whether it's my children, whether it's coworkers or, 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 or customers or, or people, you know, colleagues. It's all about, here's the data. How have you analyzed that data before you build a strategy? Um, because mm. that is that is something that I really think is is prevalent and will be prevalent in the world because robots certainly won't be able to analyze data. So, mm. And I'd love to, you know, I had another question brewing right then, but in in terms of keeping the palate hungry, um, you know, mm. keeping people hungry for things, I'd love yeah. to have you on another time and really on, even on another series about, you know, when you're analyzing the data, what are you actually looking for? Because yeah, some people totally. go, yeah, analyze the data, and they sit there and they stare at it. So I'd love to, if you're open to it, have you back um, yeah, and you know, go anytime. in there a bit deeper. Because I've really appreciated how you've summed up, and, and like you said, upon reflection, there's a lot of things I can see that you were doing instinctively. Um, and then, you know, with Gianna's help, being able to reflect back so that other people can learn from it. So thank you. I really appreciate that your willingness and your capacity to share that now with other people so they can grow their dreams and actually um, put them out in the world and, and, you know, like actually solve problems, solve people's yeah, yeah. problems. So, um, yeah, truly, like really appreciate that. Love this stuff around resilience, you know, growth mindset. And um, I'm just going to share this because it's so funny. My daughter this morning, because we're doing the interview, she um, she's like, Anyway, she gets a little bit of iPad a day, not much. And so it's this morning because we're doing the interview thing. And she's like, mom, can you get such and such downstairs in the kitchen? And I'm like, are your legs broken, Jordan? So Jordan's three. <laughs> and it's like, it's just so, it's so easy. That's why I asked you um, about this self-belief and sense of self, because as parents, um, wanting to cultivate what your parents did you know and, and being able to to show her what she's capable of because it's so easy to you know to say hey mom go downstairs um and so yeah so thank you for that i appreciate that even from a parent's point of view i think there's lots of nuggets here if we can learn from your parents and and what they gave you in terms of your growth mindset and the biggest thing i want to say because it's a freaking theme with our entrepreneurs is highlighting this idea of possibility can you see mm. that they were raised in a sense of go for it? We, we interviewed another entrepreneur and it was like his parents raised him like abundance mentality and like, go for it, move to Silicon Valley, go, you know, like he just, mm. he did it. So thank you so much for bringing your, you know, your possibility mindset, love it. And um, yeah, I can't say enough. And thank you for your, your book, Entrepreneurial Intelligence, because we're going to um, show everyone where they can get it in the show notes. So thank you so no, much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link 
to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.